magnifying the mystical union that exists between Christ and his church. Have you ever heard that at a wedding? Have you ever heard the minister get up and share those words? I've been in full-time ministry for almost 25 years. I know I don't look like it, but uh, thank you, Don. <laughs> Got one guy on my side. But I've done hundreds of weddings, literally. Performed wedding ceremonies and quoted that, have it memorized. One time I was doing a wedding and I forgot my wedding book and took a funeral book instead. Probably was appropriate, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, I had to do it from memory. But one thing that has always caught my mind, and especially caught my mind this week, was that phrase, is that it signifies unto us the mystical union. Would you just think about that, look at the screen, meditate on that? Have you ever thought about it when the preacher says that at a wedding? The mystical union that exists between Christ and his church. It's not just a cliche. It's not something just to say at a wedding. It is part of scripture that is used. Jesus even uh, supported this when he went to it and did his first miracle. Where? At a wedding. In Cana of Galilee. So this morning I've got a delicious feast for you. It's prepared for you. I would ask that you taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Nothing more satisfying than the revelation of what Christ has already done for us at the cross. Um, it's conclusive. Nothing needs done. No more struggle to please God. As a matter of fact, I believe that we need to be delivered from God-pleasing. We have, there's such a religious spirit that gets on us about pleasing God. If we can come from the mentality, because we tell you this, it's like the WWE. Is that what they still call it? Monday Night Raw, Matthew's thumbs up, so he knows what I'm talking about. It's already scripted who's going to win before they get in the ring. You still might get thrown out of the ring. You still might get body slammed, suplexed, and DDP'd. But you are still, it's scripted before you ever got in the ring. Nothing else is going to happen. You're victorious. Why can't we see that when it comes to God pleasing, that God is already pleased with you? Galatians, the second chapter, verse 16, Paul says, I'm convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. There's a reason that it was called the gospel from the first place, in the first place. It's, it's a glorious, happy message of effortless union with God. It comes as an utter shock and outrage to the depressive human willpower that's common in religion. It's common for us to hear in religious settings that we have to have willpower. Now, there is some instance, instances where we need to have willpower over that second piece of chocolate cake, over that third cheeseburger. <laughs> Warning, much of your existing theology may need to be reevaluated, reconsidered, and adjusted after you hear this message. 
Um, <laughs> because much of our Western theology includes, Michael, what he said, separation from our Creator. That's what most of our theology has been, that number one, in the first place, you were separated from God not only by your sin, but because of the sin of Adam. But listen, Adam's not my father. Wow. Mm. The evil one, diablos, and that word diablos is just an adjective. It's not even capitalized in the Greek language. The adversary. Uh, it's the goal for him or it to destroy the life that you share in union with Christ. He's against the Trinity. He's against the Trinity living in you. Uh, but he can't change the facts. Uh, he cannot reach into the circle and rip you out of the Father's arms. He's not equal to the triune God. He cannot sever the union between us and Him that Jesus has forged into you. That's a welding term. He cannot alter the connection. Now, th that entity, that adversary, is limited to uh, the possibility of perverting or poisoning or distorting your perception of this life in mystical union with God, but it's your choice. You have to give permission, you have to allow, as Michael alluded to, in your mind for him to distort, to poison and destroy that life. But he cannot disconnect you, separate you from what God has forged in us by the act of Christ's death on the cross. Yeah, it is good news. Now, this word mystical to a lot of Christians might seem strange, and it could conjure up images of witchcraft, wizardry, and new age spirituality. But it's a word that's been used throughout the ages when it comes to the mystery of Christ. Now, yeah, there are all types of religious organizations and religious people that have hijacked the word, and want to use it for all types of things other than the mystery. Now, look at the screen. This word mysticism essentially means to experience God or spiritual reality in a way that transcends the understanding of your rational mind alone. Christian mysticism is an approach to Christianity that emphasizes experiencing God's presence in our daily lives in a deeper way. From the inside out, not from the outside in. The gospel's a mystical message. <laughs> it's the awe and the fascination with our union in Christ and with God. I know I've said this word and I've tried to hone in on it and I even use the wedding um, vows as a part of it. This mystical union should not be a foreign concept to us as believers. We are simply talking about our union, the seamless oneness, the mystery of Christ, our union with Him. We are in Him, He is in us. And this experience or this union with God and us experiencing it is the mystical union. And it's obtained and was obtained 
through Christ's atoning sacrifice at the cross. Are we clear? Colossians 1.27, here it is. The mystery revealed is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I define mysticism as this. Are you ready? Here's my definition for it. An experience, is a, an experience of union with God, a consciousness of the reality of God in your life. The belief that that reality of God can be infused, that word infused means soaked up, filled up, and absorbed through subjective experiences. What does that mean? It's subject to your personal experience. Your experience and your union with Christ may be different than Paul's experience or Scott's experience or Julia's experience. It's subject to our experience in the way that God deals with us because we all have our own personalities, our own quirks, our own mistakes and failures and faults that are all hidden in Christ. Hmm. This awareness and consciousness is only accessible through revelation. You can't think it up. Um, it's not by intellect alone. When Paul, what Paul? When Peter, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Matthew 16. Peter responds with, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I like the message Bible. You didn't read that in a book. No, my Father, which is in heaven by the Spirit that's in you, has revealed to you who I am. When, oh God, I feel that. When we get the revelation of who Jesus is, not by reading it in a book, thank God for the Scriptures, but someone didn't sit down. One place Paul says, you don't need one, someone to sit down and teach you. You have the Holy Spirit who will reveal to you. Now maybe you, you, it's revealed to you as you read the Scriptures, but there are people in places that don't have written scriptures that he still reveals to them who he is. Man, I feel that. And as that revelation comes of who he is, then listen to what Jesus responds. And he says, now let me tell you who you really are. You are rock. Not pebble, Simon, but rock. He tells us our true identity as we find out who his identity is. And it's seamless. It's this union that we have with Christ. In other words, it's not taught, it's caught. It's an awareness that we're caught up in. We're already involved in it, whether you want to, you have the awareness of it uh, yet or not, and whether that revelation has come to you in its fullness, you are already involved in divine activity. Mm. Paul uses this Greek word mysterion uh, 21 times in the New Testament. Now, it's only used 27 times. And 21 of those times, Paul uses it. And almost every time that he uses it, he uses it in the sense that the mystery has already been revealed. Made manifest. Made visible. Clear. It's been illuminated. The light of God has shined on Jesus to show us that he is that mystical union. He's the one that forged it. Colossians 2 verse 2 in the Amplified says that they may become progressively more intimately acquainted. King James says that they may know. That word know is intimately acquainted with 
and may know more definitely and accurately and thoroughly the mystic secret of God, which is in Christ. In other words, it's the secret that's been hidden for years. You read the Old Testament and God is concealed, but when Jesus shows up, that mystery is revealed. There it is. What is it? The mystery is Christ in us and our union with Christ. Listen, it was instant and it was effortless when you believed. It happened at the cross. This seamless oneness that I'm talking about is smooth and continuous with no apparent gaps or spaces between one part and the next. It's like when I see Paul, I'm really seeing Jesus. And when God looks at Jesus, he's really seeing you. Because scripture even says that as he is, so are you. Not you will be. Not if you do these things, not if you follow these rules, go to church three times a week, give 10% of your income, read three scriptures a day, pray an hour a day, all of which are great things to do out of your love and devotion for his love and devotion in you. But it was instant, the moment that you believed, it was, matter of fact, it was already done whether you believe it or not. You were already reconciled you were already made one with Christ. Matter of fact, look at John the 17th chapter, verse 23 in the Passion Translation. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. And this is before the cross. <laughs> you live fully in me and now I live fully in them. This is Jesus talking to the Father prior to the cross and he says, I already live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have loved me. Instantly and effortlessly because of what Jesus did at the cross. See, this is going to be hard for religious ears. But your identity is divinity. Your identity is divinity. Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 4, tells you and I that we are partakers of the divine nature of God. Do you know where most of Western theology will put you? that you have a sin nature. But very rarely do we hear that you have a divine nature. And you've been partakers of that divine nature. It's spiritual, it is a reality, and it's indissolvable. Indissolvable. Once in Christ, ever in Christ, having taken up His habitation in your heart, he didn't move in to move out. You can't give him an eviction notice. He never leaves. The knot has been tied and the Holy Spirit has sealed it. What makes you and I think that once he sealed a thing that we can unseal it? Is our power in the flesh greater than his power? He has sealed you. Let's just talk about a few things real quickly that shows us this union with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. It's mystical that you and I were co-crucified with Christ. 
We weren't and aren't represented as either one of the thieves on either side of the cross, but that's where we want to place ourselves. Oh, I'm just a criminal. I'm a thief. I've done this. I've done that. And we put ourselves on either side of the cross of Christ when the reality of the scripture says that you were crucified with Christ. You were on the middle cross. You were represented at the cross because it's mystical that we were crucified with him, but we didn't feel the nails. Mm. The Father and the Son have never been separated, not even at the cross. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. We've alluded to this many times in our uh, messages. Jesus, the Father did not leave the Son at the cross. If he did, then the Trinity was broken up. And if the Trinity was broken up, then you and I can be separated. But Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus. Their union along with the Holy Spirit is seamless. No breaks, no separations, no lapses. So 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Therefore, he was not separated from Christ at the cross. What's rarely stressed is the reality that you were there with him on the cross. Your death to self is not, separate, is not a separate one from his death, but rather the two were concurrent, unified, and a mystical union. One... Our complete merger with God took place at the cross. Now listen to this. You are now an inseparable entity with God. I'll let that sink in. Romans 6, 11 says, Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive in union with Christ. And your own efforts, my own efforts, did not achieve this, did not obtain this. And they are now even unnecessary to continue in it. Now, our actions, reactions, and sins have consequences that will cause us to think in our minds because even Deuteronomy says that we were enemies with God in our own minds. But God was never our enemy. And he has never separated himself from us, nor will he ever separate himself from us. So only we in our minds can think that we are separated from God by a fault, a failure, uh, a, a word that we shouldn't have said, something that we did. But you're not only crucified with Christ, you're buried with Christ. Romans 6, 3 in the Passion Translation says, Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death. The Living Bible says we were plunged fully into oneness. The two becoming one. When did this happen? As the water flowed over us, it was if we were in the grave with him. This is the word baptizo in the Greek. It means to submerge, immerse, and completely be absorbed in. So when you were baptized, and if you haven't been, you need to be. Not that it's a heaven or hell issue, but it's a good thing because it symbolizes that you are recognizing I was crucified with Christ. And then I was buried with Christ. 
and the old nature did not rise again. You completely died. You were completely buried and you were completely raised into the newness of his life. It's new creation. Still being one with him permanently. So you were buried with Christ, you died with Christ, and you were also raised with Christ. Hopefully the preacher doesn't keep you under for three days and three nights before he brings you out of the water. <laughs> Romans 6, 5 says, For if you have been united with him, that means made one with him, in the likenesses of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Ephesians 2.6, the mirror translation says, you were co-included in his resurrection. We talked a little bit about this Wednesday night. That prefix co means together, joined with, and completely in. You were in his resurrection, and the new you was resurrected. But you not only died with Christ, were buried with Christ, and raised with Christ, but you ascended with Christ, and you are now seated in Christ we are so co-elevated in his ascension and co-seated with him and he has given us executive authority as we rule and reign with him where? in this life you don't have to die a physical death and go to heaven to be with Christ in order to rule and reign in this life the scripture matter of fact it's one of Joseph Prince's favorite scriptures to tell us that in this life we rule and reign through the gift of grace and the abundance of righteousness. Slip my mind there for a minute. It's his grace and his righteousness that he's given to us in executive authority seated in Christ in the heavenly places that we rule and reign. It's real. It's vital for us to understand the oneness that we share with God. It's also vital for us to understand that it was accomplished and completed and nothing else is left to be done. It happened at the cross. I believe that's why Paul said, I glory in nothing save the cross. The heresy, people call me a heretic, but the heresy of Christianity is this. It's a myth that keeps you duped and toiling and stuck in the dilemma of your own efforts. You are the living expression, his mirror image of the divine nature, of the Father and of Christ, because of our perfect union with him. His spirit then in us is compelling us to walk it out. So you... I believe that we will have some sort of conscious awareness of what Christ did at the cross. We can begin to fall into the revelation of this union even with God the Father. But let's not leave out the third person of the Trinity who is also inseparable and is not separated and dwells in you who will lead you and guide you so that you can walk out what has already been worked in. Let's not forget that, okay? So we thank God for the Father. Can you say amen? amen. Thank God for what Jesus did for us at, at the cross, amen? amen? 
But let's also say amen and so be it to an indwelling Holy Spirit who will compel us to walk out our union with Christ, which means we will be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. And let's stop living by the, uh, uh, the, the persuasion, the ideology that, oh, I'll just do this and get forgiveness with it. Let's spend time with the Holy Ghost and find out how I can walk this out and get permission before we walk into something that will wreck and ruin our lives. That's a good place to shout. Because I... I, I maybe I was calm down. I do get a little bit frustrated sometimes because people that don't really listen want to walk out of here saying that you can leave grace life and live any way you want to live. No, you have a Holy Spirit that is compelling you to walk out what the, whole, what the Father and the Son have worked in through the cross of Christ. You are one with the Father and he, it hurts Him. It breaks His heart to do th- for us to do things that are wrecking and ruining our life because He wants, to, he wants us to enjoy life. I am convinced that... Uh, you know, Smiley got it right when he wrote the book, Your Best Life Now. Joe Osteen. He, Smiley, I love his smile. It is our best life right now on the planet. And it's a blessed life. And it's a life that's in union with Christ. So next month, we're going to spend time on three Sundays listening how to hear the voice of the Father. How can I hear God's voice? I think it's important for us to spend time doing that because I can't get up here and tell you that you have an indwelling Holy Spirit that's compelling you to walk this out and not at least give you some resources to find out, well, how is he speaking to me or how might he speak to me because he's going to speak to each of us differently. Don, if you would come. She helped me with my notes last night. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I wish I could share it with you. <laughs> the new Okay. She will bring this thing together, I'm sure. The new you that rose with Christ is in perfect cohesion. Complete oneness with him. There's so much more that we could talk about with this mystical union. But here's just a couple other things besides co-died, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-ascended, co-seated. You are co-laborers. Joint heirs. That means the inheritance that he gets, we get. Why? Because we're in oneness with him. Simply put, (laughs) the delicious feast of your union with Christ was instant and effortless. So you are called to enjoy it. Our union with Christ gives us our identity. It gives us a home. It gives us a family to which we belong. And it gives us a place in the kingdom and a life to experience. And our union with and in Christ is fundamental. It is foundational. One body, one Christ, One faith, one baptism. 
I mean, I, if, if I was in a Jesus-only holiness Pentecostal church right now, I'm talking about oneness, they'd be on their feet. We are one because of what Christ did. And we are, it's permanent. That, that's the thing that now we have to understand that our sins do not separate us from God. I heard that my whole life. Not, and I'm, I'm not telling you that it was wrong. It was just incomplete to the fact that I felt like I was constantly separated from God. A bad thought, a bad word. Anything, forgot to read a chapter today. Now I'm separated from God and because I didn't read a chapter today, I'm backslidden so I have to read two chapters tomorrow. My efforts don't, my self-improvement doesn't make me one with God. What Jesus did makes me one with God. So it's a mindset that I have to believe that even when I'm in my darkest hour, I'm one with Christ. So where does that put him? Right there in the darkness with you. Right there in the tragedy with you. Right there in the foxhole with you during that battle. Would you stand with me please? I am thankful for how the Lord orchestrated this. We're just going to pray. We're just going to sing, maybe just to see what the Lord wants to do. I think there's some response that needs to take place. I don't know how you're going to respond. The Holy Spirit will tell you. It's always a good thing to put a little bit of action and, and maybe come to an altar or kneel down at your seat. But just let the Holy Spirit deal with you as you contemplate this mystery of your oneness and thank him for it then Lisa's going to share just a minute with us as we wrap this out will you pray with me Father thank you for sending Jesus Jesus thank you for giving your life for me as me and to me Holy Spirit live that I allow I give permission for you to live that life through me um, as a conscious awareness to the oneness, I lift my hands and my heart and I praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for the work that you did through the cross of Christ to reconcile me, to bring me into unity and oneness with you. Now, we, I just thank you for the days that are ahead that we get to enjoy this and walk in it. In Jesus' name. Let's just worship for a moment and you respond as the Holy Spirit directs you.